Hey, tonight, what I want you guys to know, before we even get started, Garrett already said in the very beginning, the first thing is that this is a place that we hope that you belong and that we hope that you discover hope. And the ultimate end goal is that you can grow in your relationship with God and that you can make a difference in the world. But before we get in there, I want you guys to know that as soon as you walk in the doors, that this is a place where you belong, that you are welcome, and that I am so, so, so glad that you are here. But don't get that mistaken with the fact that I have one mission tonight. I don't care anything about the volleyball. I don't care anything about the cereal. I have one mission. I have one goal. And it is to preach this message that God has given me because there's somebody here who needs to hear it. And I'm not going to let anybody stop that. So if you want to interrupt, if you want to talk, I will not hesitate to call you out. Um, if it's your first time, I'm sorry. If you've been here a million times, you should know better. But I have a mission tonight, and is this. This is the reason I am here tonight. So we're going to get into that. The title of this message is called Be Who You Are. Go ahead and say that with me. Be who you are. Be. Now, you might be thinking, like, who, who are we? Like, who, like... Have you guys ever, like, asked that question before? Like, who are we? Like, you hear the world, they just say, like, just do you. Like, just be yourself. But if you really get down into that, like, we hear that sometimes. But if you get down into, like, who, who are we? Like, what does that even mean? Be who, be yourself. Like, what does that even mean? There's so much we can talk about that, but that's not necessarily the whole reason of this message. It's because the self, like, who you are on the inside, like, the true part of yourself, it is not a good thing to follow. Like, if anyone ever tells you, like, just follow your heart, do what you want to do, I promise you that is very bad advice. Um, Because whenever yourself becomes God, like, whenever yourself becomes the main motivator, the main thing in your life, it creates a crushing weight on you that you were never designed to bear. Because think about it, you must discover yourself if, if self is the main thing, if you want to be to yourself, like you have to discover yourself. It's on you to then become yourself. It's on you to stay true to yourself, to justify yourself, to make yourself happy, to make yourself look good, to perform and defend your own identity. And that is exhausting. If you think you have to make your own image and then defend that, create it, like that gets exhausting. And it's no wonder we talk so much about burnout or anxiety or mental health. But tonight's message is still going to be called, like, Be Who You Are. So how, who are we, and then how do we be who we are? Like, I believe the message tonight is going to address that. Um, if you have a Bible, we are still in a series called um, Living Hope. We're going through First Peter. If you have a real Bible, just wave it in the air. I want to see who has a real Bible in here tonight. Yeah, all right, front row got it. Cool, cool, cool. All right, if you don't have a Bible, don't, be, don't worry. One will be provided for you on the screen behind me. We are in a series called Living Hope. We are going through First Peter through your first week here. No worries, I'm going to recap for you because that's what I like to do. So First Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace of to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So like, if you don't, if you notice, it says at the very beginning, therefore, like, this is my favorite joke. You just have to figure out like, what is it there for? Like, obviously it's there for something. Like, what is it there for? So let's recap the last couple of weeks. Therefore, 
Peter has in mind everything he wrote before he wrote this verse. So, a.k.a., like the last three weeks of this message, like the verse 1 through 12 verses. So, in the beginning, like in verses 1 and 2, Peter, he says who he's writing to. He says, I'm writing this whole book, this whole letter, to those chosen living as exiles. So, the Christians that Peter's writing to back 2,000 years ago, they were Christians that were under severe persecution that were being put to death because of their faith. They were exiles, they were on the fringe of society. But that didn't matter to them because notice beforehand it says, You are chosen by God. Like, you can endure suffering, you can be on the fringe of society because you are chosen by God. The identity that God has for you is greater than any identity the world will put on you or any identity that you can make for yourself. And then in verses 3 through 12, um, it's actually just one run-on sentence. So you eighth grade people in English, you can thank Lauren that run-on sentences are a thing. So I don't see Lauren, so I can say that. Um, It's just one sentence, verses 3 through 12. Uh, But Peter, in this section, he starts it by worshiping God because of our new identity in him and the hope that we have in his future. Like verses 3 through 12 can be summarized as Peter saying, like, praise God. Like let's worship God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth. He's given us new life according to his abundant mercy into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And he says because of that hope that we have, we can have joy today even though we suffer for following Jesus. Because we have a hope in the future, we can have joy today because of um, the future that we have. God has a purpose for your suffering to make you look more like him. That's what Peter's saying. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, set your complete hope on him. Set your hope completely. So let's talk about hope for a second. True hope is a uniquely Christian thing. Hope is only found in a Christian context. I hope, like if you think about it, hope in the biblical context, it is to look forward to the future with certain expectation. It's an expectation. It's not a wish for a better tomorrow. Like, like how it is in English, like, oh, I hope tomorrow it doesn't rain. Or I hope tomorrow it's not going to be super hot outside. Like in English, that's how we use the word hope, and it's kind of like a wish. Like, I, I really hope it doesn't rain. Like, I wish it won't rain, like, but we don't know. But the way it's using it in the Bible is it is a for sure expectation. Like, I hope this is going to happen, therefore I know without a doubt this is going to happen. It's, an, it's a certainty, But we ask the question, like whenever we see that word hope, how can you have confidence in something in the future as if it is going to happen no matter what? It's because our hope is based on something that has already happened in the past. And Peter says that is the resurrection of Jesus. Because we know Jesus rose from the dead, and that is a fact, that is something that we can talk about. Because Jesus rose from the dead and it is ascended to heaven, we know without a doubt that our future in him is going to be secure. And that gives us hope. And that is why true hope is a uniquely Christian thing. It's because as Christians, those who follow Jesus, we don't live on a wish or a dream but with a certain expectation because Jesus rose from the dead. 
And our hope, it, it is in a certain thing. Our hope is in the kingdom of God. It's in the future heaven. Our hope, it, it's that the grace that he has will be brought to those who are committed to Jesus. Like whenever we give our lives to Jesus, our hope is that he will show us grace in the end times when Jesus comes to judge the world. And it's a living hope. And that's what this whole series is based on. It's called living hope because it's living because Jesus lives. He rose from the dead. Like that makes sense. But it's also a living hope because we are supposed to live it out. Our lives should show that we have hope. And Peter, he's going to explain that this hope is going to be, to be lived out. Because think about it, like hope that stays in your mind, that's no hope at all. Like if you hope that something's going to happen, but then you live your life as if it's not, you don't really hope that it's going to happen. So it's, it's a living hope because it's lived out. So what does it look like to live out hope? I'm glad you asked because Peter, he's going to tell us exactly how it happens in verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the, the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who has called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. So the main thing that we see here, and it's the thing that jumps off the page, honestly, is holiness. That is what God expects of those who follow Jesus, is a holy life. And now we can think about that in two ways. Like one way is true, like whenever we give our life to Jesus, that's how God sees us now. Because Jesus was perfect, now whenever we accept Jesus and we live under him, when God looks at us, he sees the perfectness of Jesus. He doesn't see your past sin and mistakes. He sees holiness. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about you are holy, so now be who you are. God has said you're holy, now live your life as if you're holy. That is what it looks like to become like Jesus. Like, that's also another thing. Like, we hope that you belong. We hope you could discover hope. See how that works? And then we hope you become more like Jesus and then go make a difference in the world. To be holy, it means that our lives are so surrendered under the lordship of Jesus as the king of our life that our life is no longer defined by our past life, but now it is defined by our life that is lived in Jesus. To be holy, it means that we now say no to sin. We now say no to the desire to talk back behind someone's back. We say no to that desire to look at that person who just walked in the room with lust. We say no to that desire to go and look at porn. We say no to that desire, that inward desire to be prideful. To follow Jesus, it means we are saying no to the things that we want to do because those things are harmful for us and they are not under the lordship of Jesus. We say no to wrong motivations. We tell the truth instead of lying. We live in peace when worry comes in and tries to grip our heart. That is what it means to be holy. And so my question, before we move on, like if somebody, like if you say you follow Jesus, if you say that you are a Christian, if somebody was going to evaluate your life, like somebody that you maybe know or not, if they were going to look at your life from the outside looking in for the last two weeks, 
would they be able to say your life looks more like your life before you followed Jesus? Or does your life now look more like how Jesus lived? And now to be honest, most of us will say it probably is the first one. We don't want to say that. But if we're honest in that evaluation, most people will say, yeah, my life, it doesn't look too much different than it did before I said yes to Jesus. But Peter says, don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. He says, don't go back to that past life. Once you have said yes to Jesus, once you have, are living in him, don't go back to that old life. That life is dead. That life is sticky. That life is going nowhere. Instead, be holy in all of your conduct. It depends on how you live. Like That is what he's talking about. In all of your conduct, it means in all of your life. It doesn't just mean, like, be holy when you come to church. Be holy whenever you read your Bible. Be holy whenever you want to come to God and pray. That's not what he's saying. He says be holy in all of your conduct, in everything that you do, in your eating, sleeping, going to school life. Be holy. When it's just you by yourself in your room and your phone, be holy. When you're going to your friend's house and you guys are just hanging out and, and talking about random stuff, be holy. That's what Peter says. Paul, he says something very similar in Romans chapter 12. And I like the way the message paraphrases it. So I'm going to read out the message paraphrase. Paul, he says very clearly, he says, so this is what I want you to do. Like, if you're like, I want clarity in, in, in the Bible. Like, Paul, he isn't any more clear. He says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, going to school, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Is that anybody in here? Instead, fix your attention on God, and you will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and then quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and he develops well-formed maturity in you. So Paul is saying, like he says, don't become so well-adjusted to the culture that you fit in without even thinking. The first thing that comes to my mind here is um, I... I don't know if this is actually true or not, so you can fact check me later. But I hear, like, if you put a frog in, in water, like, you can, um, it, I think it is. Like, I think if you put a frog in water, like, that's lukewarm, and you boil it, it doesn't know the water is getting hotter until it's dead. Like, it doesn't feel the bo boiling water, right? I heard a lot of different places. All right, we can look that up. But that, that's, that's neither here nor there. But it works for this because don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without thinking because the culture is going to hell. The culture is sending you to darkness. So don't get so well-adjusted to a world that you so desperately want to fit in that you go to hell with it without even thinking. Like that's the best way I can paraphrase what Paul is saying. But he says instead, fix your eyes on God. Then and only then can you be changed from the inside out. And I promise you, that is such good news. He says, you don't want to go to hell. Like, you don't want to live a life in darkness. You don't want to live a life of meaningless. Fix your eyes on God, and he will change you from the inside out. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus, and then and only then will you become more like Jesus and become holy the way that Peter is saying. So another question I have is like, why Jesus? Why do we need to look to Jesus? Why do we need to keep our eyes on God? Why do we need to look towards him? The next verse tells us it's because Jesus redeemed us from our empty way of life. Verses 1, 18 and 19, it says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He says, you, like everything he says before, he says, be holy because I am holy. Live your life this way. And he says, this is the reason why. It's because you have been redeemed from that empty way of life. Like here's some things we see in that passage. Like here's some true things. He says, in your former life, in your former ignorance, before you became a Christian, we lived a empty life. Apart from Jesus, living has no purpose. Life is hopeless. It is meaningless. You might be saying, like, gosh, man, can you say that? I can say it because it's true. If you are not following Jesus, you are not living with a purpose in your life. Your life has no happy ending if you're not following him. It's an empty life. That's the way Peter says. He says he has redeemed you from that empty life. It is never finding fulfillment. And I know that is true. I know that's true because the Bible says it's true. It says he, like your former ignorance is empty. But I also know that's true because I lived that myself. I found out the hard way in middle school whenever I was in 7th and 8th grade. Anybody in here 7th, 8th grade? Cool, cool, cool. All right. Whenever I was in 7th and 8th grade, like you guys are already better than me because I wasn't in church. I tried everything to feel good or to be happy. I tried alcohol. I tried porn. I tried chasing girls. I tried, I tried falling for peer pressure. Like I tried being the leader of peer pressure, like trying to get my friends to do the things I was doing. To say that I felt empty was an understatement. To say my life felt meaningless and dark is an understatement. But don't get me wrong, in that moment of sin, like it felt good. In that moment of sin, like it was fun. But that is like saying, like eating a whole tub, like this is kind of a silly illustration. It's like saying like eating a whole tub of ice cream, like a whole gallon of of Bluebell. That's like saying like, oh yeah, I ate a whole tub of ice cream, so now I'm full. And that was so good, like it tasted so good. You're like, oh man, I'm so hungry, I can eat this whole bowl. You want to watch me bet, I'm going to eat this whole bowl. And you eat it, you're like, man, I'm so full, I couldn't eat anything else. That is false. You're not really full. In a moment, you're going to be regretting your life because you're going to be like, man, this is terrible. Especially if you're lactose intolerant. You, like, that's a whole different kind of terrible. Like, that is, like, it tastes good in the moment. But before long, you will crash and you'll be sick to your stomach and you will be empty of all the things your body actually needs. If Matthew, you want to go ahead and come back. Life is empty without Jesus. If you are following Jesus wholeheartedly today, and there's a lot of you in here, you can come up here and you can share the exact same testimonies that I'm sharing. I know all my leaders in the back, they have similar testimonies. That my life, I try to find meaning and purpose in all the wrong places that didn't work, but I found Jesus and my life has 
profound meaning. All of us who follow Jesus, we can stand up here and say the exact same thing. But if you are not following Jesus, you have good news. God provides a solution, and he says it is redemption. Jesus paid for us to leave that empty life behind and to follow him into holiness. He made a way, but it cost him his life. He was perfect. He was innocent. That's what that verse literally just said. The unblemished, spotless lamb. Like he was perfect. Jesus never sinned. He was God in the flesh. He came, but he died for sin. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. He carried our sin, our shame, our guilt, the deepest, darkest thing. You don't want anyone to know, whether as an action that you did or a thought you thought. He died carrying that on the cross. His death and his blood that was spilled on the cross, the word that the word says it redeems you. It's a fancy word for saying it bought you back. He paid the price that you cannot pay for yourself. And the result is salvation. It is a new way of life. If Peter said like your former way of life, if the life without Jesus, if it's empty, if it's meaningless, that means a life that is lived in Jesus has meaning. It has purpose. It has reason. It's full of living hope. It is full of expressible, inexpressible joy. It's full of peace. And you guys have probably heard all of those words before. You get on TikTok, you, you go to school, you, you hear those words, like if you want hope, you want joy, you want peace. But I promise you, you have never felt that before. The world has none of those to offer. The world can't offer you hope. Without Jesus, you haven't felt real joy. Without living your life to God, saying, God, you can have everything. I surrender to you. I'm going to say no to myself. I'm going to say no to myself. I'm going to say no to those things. If you have not got to that place where you surrender your whole self to God, I promise you, you have not felt peace. Those are not possible apart from life with Jesus. Now, what does Jesus want? Jesus wants all of you. He wants all of you. Like He wants everybody in this room. No one left out. No one is too bad. No one's too far gone. He wants all of you. But this time, he wants all of each and every one of you. He wants, for each of you personally, he wants everything you have to offer. The good, the bad, the ugly. He wants all of you all the time. Not just at church, but every single part of your life. He wants it all. If you feel broken... Come to Jesus, and he will heal you. If you feel unloved, come to Jesus, and he will love you unconditionally. If you feel hopeless, come to Jesus, and he promises to give you a living hope. If you feel depressed, come to Jesus, and he promises to give you an inexpressible joy. If you feel dirty, if you feel unwanted, if you feel lost, lonely, come to Jesus, and he will make you pure. His blood forgives your sins. His blood cleanses you. So the bottom line, come to Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've never gotten to that point in your life where you said, yeah, I've been living my way and it's not working, but if you've never given your life to Jesus, and you're like, I, I, I've, I've never tried God's way. Like maybe giving him everything, maybe that's going to work. 
if something about this convicts you, if something about your past life, if something about your sin, if something is convicting you and you want to repent and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, God, I messed up. I know you created me for better. And you want to give your life to Jesus and all that that means You want to say, Jesus, I want to give you everything. God, you want all of me. I want to give you all of me. I want to surrender to you. I want to find life in you, the only you can offer. If that's you, I don't care if you raised your hand before or this is your first time. I just want you to raise your hand so we know who we're praying for tonight. You want to say, tonight is a night. I'm going to leave it all and follow Jesus. I see that hand on the left, on the right, in the front. Anybody else? That's not the hand. I see it in the back. It's not the hand that's going to raise that's going to save you. That's not it. But I just want to know who we're praying for. Who's, if your hand is up, I promise you, you're not alone. I just want you guys to say this prayer after me. For those who are saying it for the first time, just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Make me new. Make me to be just like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for those who gave their life to Jesus. <laughs> Saying, like, here's, here's an honest truth. Raising your hand doesn't save you. Saying that prayer out loud, it doesn't save you. It's not a magic thing that happens. What happens is Jesus died on the cross, and now it's your belief in him, and then your life lived in light of that. That Jesus, I believe Jesus died on the cross. Now I'm going to live my life as if that's actually true, and that is a sign that you have been forgiven, that now you're living in the kingdom of God. And now here's my takeaway for the Christians. For those Christians, for those who have followed Jesus for a long time, to live your life in your old ways before you follow Jesus is to live your life in a way that is denying that Jesus' death had any value. So my challenge for all of us is to follow Jesus, to live our life as if his death had value and to walk in holiness. Live your life in holiness. Seek God in every moment. Be who you are, which is who God says you are, which is holy, nothing less.